Good morning. How are you doing today? Well, good morning, Arrows. Pleasure being here. Man, I'll tell you what. This book is coming out at such a great time because I realize that we're all like really uh, 50 years of celebrating The Exorcist. But if, if you've been on Facebook recently, I, I, maybe it's because I'm here in the South, but the, these preachers down here are practicing this stuff in real life. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for sin, is there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what You know what makes it entertaining, though? And it, God, I hate to say that, is the fact that they try to do the voices and, oh, what the devil is going to do. And, and it's like, come on, man. I, I'd rather see this on a screen and not, not my Facebook. Well, you know, exorcism is supposedly real. In fact, if you look at the devil's, or rather the, the, the Pope's exorcist or whatever they call that, the one that Russell Crowe was in, yeah. that's based in a sense on a, a documentary that William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist, made a couple of years ago called The Devil and Father Amort, who was the Vatican's official exorcist. And although you can doubt whether exorcism or possession really happened, the fact is that a lot of people believe in it, yeah. which in a sense makes it real, at least to them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can remember when the movie came out, I was in Billings, Montana, and the protesting that came with the original The Exorcist. I mean, they, they were totally against this movie being out. I don't understand that because it's essentially a commercial for the Catholic Church. The church right. didn't mind it because it was reinforcing. But I'll tell you something that happened. I was a junior publicist in Boston handling the film for Warner Brothers and for the theater chain. And as a publicist for the theater chain, my bosses and I were indicted in Massachusetts by the wow. Blessed Commonwealth for, uh, let me get the billing right, for obscenity, um, immorality, blasphemy, and corrupting the morals of a minor. It seemed that a religious nut named Rita Warren had brought her underage daughter to see the movie and she held us responsible. Now, why she wasn't arrested for child endangerment, I'll never know. But two interesting things happened. One, William Friedkin called me and offered moral support while the case was going on. And that led to my half century friendship with William Friedkin. And the other thing was that the judge in the case threw the case out on the first day of Lent, hmm. which is kind of ironic. <laughs> but it shows that some people were disturbed by the film, and some of them still are, because it reaches into the soul. Yeah. You know, it isn't yeah. a it isn't a, a movie where, where Freddy Krueger or somebody is slashing people. Um, my, my, my stock expression is that when you're seeing a horror film in a theater, you know, Freddy or Jason or the Frankenstein monster or the Wolfman or the mummy, you go home and they're still in the theater. Right. But by the time you get home, Satan could be under the bed waiting for you. Mm, dude, I've had that same nightmare my entire dang life because of this movie. Because I will. I won't walk into an empty room uh, without light. Oh, you got to lay off the sauce, kid. <laughs> really. Well, yeah, the fear of the dark is one of mankind's oldest. I mean, even before we were walking on two feet, fears. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you were putting this book together, were you visited? Do you feel the spirits? I mean, I mean, look at what happened with Poltergeist. People say that every one of those actors went through something with that. Oh, bananas. There was no curse of the exorcist. <laughs> you know, listen, look, OK, the set burned down. Okay, people died. Uh, okay, there was a large statue of, of Pazuzu that went missing in Singapore for some reason. Uh, okay, uh, you, things happened, but no, there, there's no curse on The Exorcist. The only curse on The Exorcist is some of the sequels and prequels didn't do any business. That's the curse. Now, what's great about this book, The Exorcist Legacy, 50 Years of Fear, is the fact that we now have something physical in our hands. We can take our time and read these pages and get the heck out of Assumption. Well, I tried to be as accurate as possible. You know, some people change their stories over the years, mm -hmm. but having written the biography of William Friedkin back in 1990, which is called Hurricane Billy, which you'll have to get in a used bookstore, uh, I had a lot of information. 
when the film was a hit, but before it became a classic. And so I have, I think, a different perspective than anybody else writing about The Exorcist and its prequels and sequels today. Now, is this all based on an exorcism in 1949? Because, I mean, I, I, I really tried to do some research on when did this stuff really start happening? You're going to find one single article that appeared in the Washington Post in 1949 about a boy in Cottage City, Maryland. I'm from Silver Spring, which is a rifle shot away from Cottage City, and I don't remember that, but it was. Supposedly, a boy was freed of possession by priests. William Peter Blatty, who was then a student at Georgetown University, saw that article and stored it away in his mind until years later, after he finished a career as a highly successful Hollywood screenwriter, to write a book about it. And he did a lot of research and talked to priests. I mean, he did have the advantage of Jesuit education and the Jesuit scholars at Georgetown to help him and lead him in the right direction. And he put together the book of The Exorcist. But there was, yes, a supposed possession. I don't believe it. There was a wonderful scholar, a kind of a detective scholar named Mark Obsasnik, who has done groundbreaking research in the original possession, uncovered the name of the kid who was supposedly possessed. And we kind of agree that it might have been a contrivance on the part of the church to get publicity, but it certainly did spark people's faith. And it certainly got people talking about the existence of the devil and the existence of God and the proof of both of them, which is perhaps a good thing. Yeah, this I mean, this coming fall, we're going to we're going to get another exorcist. I mean, it's I I can't believe this, but people are really getting fired up about this saying, yeah, I got to have it. I've got to find out what the what the continuation of the story is going to be. Well, it became a franchise, not through anybody who made the first two films wanted it to be. But David Gordon Green, who was so gracious in giving me an interview for the book at a time a year and a half ago when he wasn't allowed to talk about it, that I think it's it's got a chance. I hope it works. It's opening October 13th mm-hmm. from Universal, Blumhouse and Morgan Creek. And uh, the other two in the series are going to be on Peacock Network. I sound like a shill for it. I'm not. I haven't seen the films, mm-hmm. but I certainly hope they're good. And I certainly hope they continue the legacy. I don't have a calendar in front of me. You said October 13th. Is that a Friday the 13th? You're darn right it is. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. So what was it like for these actors to be on the set? Because I know what we experienced on, on that side of the screen, but what did they do going through the motions? Well, it wasn't like in a Coyote Roadrunner film where they check in in the morning, you know, morning Fred, morning Bill, <laughs> and then go to work. William Goldman, I think, said it best. He's the Oscar-winning screenwriter of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and some wonderful books. He said, the most exciting day of your life is your first day on a movie set, and the most boring day of your life is your second day on a oh, movie God. set. You know, you put this thing together like a puzzle, piece by piece by piece. And with The Exorcist, because all of the effects that you see in the movie had to be created physically in front of the camera. There was no CGI in those days, whether it's the levitating Reagan or the turning heads or the cracking windows and floors and things floating around the bed going back and forth. Those took a long time to set up and they could only get a couple of shots a day. So making The Exorcist was kind of boring. And it was William Friedkin's job as director to keep the energy level up. Mm -hmm. And a great director, which Billy certainly is, is somebody who creates an atmosphere where the actors can behave like the characters. Mm -hmm. And Friedkin is a past master. In fact, he has has another film coming out, 88 years old. Can you believe that? He has a film version of the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which is playing in the Venice Film Festival out of competition in August. So Billy's right in there pitching. And uh, The Exorcist and his other movies are a legacy, I think, to his brilliance. As a kid, Linda Blair was like a hero to so many of us. Was she typecast because of this movie? Well, no. She went through a certain awkward age and began redirecting her energies to mm. charities. You know, she's now directing one of the charities, uh, an animal rescue and, and uh, yes. uh, saving 
to which so is wonderful. And it's just an extension of the wonderful, warm and smart person that she is. But, you know, sometimes people ride their stars. Some people sometimes the, the parts just don't come along. Yeah. But she has integrity and she certainly was in there. What about you? When you when you release a book like this, you're relinquishing it to us now. So your writing has got to be, you know, tapping into something new because you can't put your writer self away. I write about what I want to write about. And in this case, the exorcist, the exorcist legacy is kind of my exorcism. After 50 (laughs) years of living with this film, uh, it's a cheap shot, I know, but it's the truth. I can finally now close the book by having written the book. That just came out spontaneously. I'll, I'll use it in the next interview. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I laugh because I always call it the inner beast. Yeah. So when I write every day, I'm, I'm letting out that inner beast. Get away from me, inner beast. Are you nervous that other people are going to see inside of you by writing like that? No, because I release it. I Because that, that helps me deal with the, the everyday world is that, look, if I'm going through it, so are you. And so let's talk about this. That shows you have a real affinity for the reader. You've got a concept of whom you're writing for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Creative people. That I tap into that energy like you wouldn't believe. Well, certainly your air personality is such that you can relate to people. And I guess the extension is when you're typing. So good for you, Arrow. Man, I can't wait to talk to you again in the future. Next time I want more than 10 minutes with you. Well, I'm sure you meant that in the proper way. And I have, a, I have another book coming. Well, I have another book coming out next month about auto premier versus Hollywood censors. Mm. And then in October, I have one coming out from Kensington Citadel, who also do The Exorcist Legacy. It's about Scarface. Oh, 40 year, 40 year anniversary. It's called A Century of Scarface. And it talks about the 1932 Howard Hawks version and the 1983 Brian De Palma version. And Stephen Bauer, who plays Manny, who is Al Pacino's friend in the film, was a, a main person in getting this book together. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that if you guys want to keep on in touch with iHeart. I'm sure we can work it out. Absolutely. Will you be brilliant today, okay? Thank you for some wonderful conversation, Arrow. I really appreciate your work.